Welcome back to the FIFA America podcast. The boys are finally back together after getting incredibly busy at the same exact time. Tom is through his first draft of his thesis. Ryan is over there in Germany protecting our freedom 24-7. And I've been back to visit some family and some, some trips to Spain. So it's nice to be back here talking to you guys about soccer. I'm very happy to have us back. And everyone watching, listening, thank you for sticking with us. Today, we are going to be talking about the starting 11 that we would be looking to bring against Panama in the next World Cup qualifying cycle. Panama is really the game that we need to win. So we have an away game against Mexico and an away game against Costa Rica. But if we win that game against Panama, we're most likely in. We're going to talk about the starting 11 because two of our goalkeepers are currently injured. Matt Turner is injured. Zach Steffen was injured, but is back in training now. Weston McKinney is out for the season, so we'll need to find a third center midfielder. And that number nine position, that pesky number nine, is still out there for anyone to take for the U.S. Men's Nationals team. So we're going to talk about that. And then Tom, our resident astrophysicist in training, <laughs> junior junior astrophysicist. What would you call yourself, Tom? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's... I, I tend to just go with astronomer for the most part because I am actually doing astronomy by myself now. So, but I haven't published anything. So it, it, maybe in training works. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's weird. <laughs> All right. Tom, the astronomer, has run the numbers on this last qualifying cycle. So we're going to talk through the models, what they say, what the most likely table positions are at the end of these next three games, who's going to qualify for the World Cup and what we can expect from the next few games. But guys, like I said, it has been a while since we've been back together. I just want to check in on you. Tom, I know you have a bit of more work to do on that draft, but how are you doing otherwise? I'm I'm very tired. That's about where I'm at. I've had, you know, I'm in the middle of my next observing run, so I've been staying up all night babysitting the telescope in Los Angeles. I am currently trying desperately to finish my thesis by April 1st so I can graduate uh, we've been hosting graduate recruits for to sort of replace me in the program, and then I'm going on official visits myself. So I really haven't done a whole lot of sleeping in the last three weeks. I think I'm averaging about three hours a night, uh, averaging about three more during the day. It's It's been a really weird couple of weeks. I'm glad to have a spring break, chat with you guys a little bit, and be away from my office, which is slowly driving me crazy. <laughs> Hopefully this can give you a slice of normalcy to be back with the pod. Ryan, how about you? Oh man, <clears throat> just so good to be back. Like you said, just a slice of normalcy. I mean, I've I've worked in four different countries over the last four weeks. Um, you know, we're obviously a lot busier on base, giving everything that's going on in the world. I moved over to Europe thinking that I was going to have this awesome time of being able to travel. And since I've gone here, we've we've had a pandemic. Uh, we've had the refugees coming through Ramstein as well that we had to help out with. Now there's even some re uh, refugees that have made it all the way from Ukraine that are staying with some of my coworkers. So it's it's been a wild time to be over here. Uh, and then also, you know, I'm just staring down a, an opportunity to get home for a little bit. So I'll be able to be back in the States between March 25th and April 22nd, actually see my family for a bit. So, you know, all that and trying to get my taxes done. Like, it's just been wild. Like these last four weeks, <laughs> I, I can't even wrap my head around everything I've had to do. Based on Tom's reaction, I think a lot of people will hear that tax thing and good I reminder. Those are due. That <laughs> <laughs> you didn't expect that anyone listening and watching to, to be reminded of death and taxes this episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So let's talk a little bit about that game that we love so much that helps us take our mind off things that are going on in the world. Let's talk about that starting 11 for the U.S. Men's National Team. So... The situation is as it stands. The U.S. is currently in second place, tied with Mexico on 21 points. Panama is in fourth with 17 points. And we play an away game at Stadio Azteca in Mexico. We're home in Orlando, Florida against Panama and away to Costa Rica to round out the qualifying campaign. So before we talk about the starting 11, Tom, maybe you can just give us the the overview of what needs to happen for the U.S. to qualify and why that game against Panama is so, so important. Yeah, so the sort of position where we are right now is four points is the mathematical threshold. If we hit four points, no matter where we get them, we're through. 
If we get below that, we start to sweat a little bit. As long as we get three points from either Costa Rica or Panama, we will be guaranteed a spot in the playoff because whoever loses that game to us can't finish above us, so we'll finish at least fourth. If we beat Mexico, that's when we have to start sweating out results because we will have lost two other games to Panama and Costa Rica. And then below two points, two points or below, that's when we really need help from Canada, especially to get us through. Canada will also play both Panama and Costa Rica this window. I think they get them both away, whereas we have to play both games. Or we get one home, one away. So um, you, right now, the name of the game is one win, one draw. If we can't get one win, one draw, then the name of the game is a win against either Costa Rica or Panama to make sure we at least get the playoff. Yeah. So I think consensus is saying play your best 11 against Panama to really guarantee that three points and then try and get a draw away against Mexico or Costa Rica. So that that is why, guys, we're building the best 11 towards Panama. And then maybe after we build this best 11, we can start to strategize on game theory of who you would rest, who you would bench for that Mexico game to maybe someone like Tyler Adams, who is currently one yellow card away from yellow card accumulation to be suspended potentially against Panama, maybe that's someone that you would sit. So I know goalkeeper, center back pairings, that third center midfielder and the number nine are probably going to be the most talked about. Let's just fill in some gaps of players that we absolutely know will be there in our best starting 11. I think everyone at this moment can say that Serginho Dest is our best right back. Would you guys all agree? Yeah, I concur. I love I love concurring, Ryan. <laughs> All right, left I'll back. tell you would not not concur will come up at some point. I'm sure. Left back Anthony Robinson is that cool with everyone? Yeah. All right, Can't concur. <laughs> and then Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa. Although, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Musa here, but we have to say that Gio Reyna was coming back from an injury when we went on our last break for the podcast. He was then re-injured in, in a game in the Bundesliga. And then he came back today, actually, and played the last 30 minutes for Dortmund. Is he going to be with this U.S. team? If he is, I think he will be. He'll be in a super sub role. He'll be doing what Pulisic was doing what, back in the November window, where he was just coming off the bench, playing the last 30 minutes of games, trying to get a few you know, make an impact where he can. I don't think we're going to see him start, go 90 minutes in any game, especially not in the study Azteca. So I guess I, I, I think we say? could, I, I was going to say, I think we could see him start a game, but just go 60 as well. Uh, you know, he looked pretty lively today. I think he'll probably get a few more minutes next weekend. I think once we see how many minutes he gets next weekend, that'll be a little bit more telling for what we can kind of expect. But I definitely think, you know, like you said, Tom, we'll see the, the super sub role is, is, I think a shoe in already. We can guarantee that. But I think after seeing next weekend, if he potentially gets a start or goes around 60 minutes, maybe we can expect a little bit more from him. Yeah. Okay. And the Panama game being about two weeks, two, two and a half weeks away right now, would you see Gio Reyna in a center midfielder spot or a winger position for the U.S. men's national team? I personally don't think Greg Berhalter is going to mix up his roles, his tactics, his personnel, anything this window. He knows how important it is. He's going to go with the guys that he's trained to play the way that he wants to play. Reyna has never played the center midfield for the U.S. Berhalter sees him as a winger. I think we'll see him there. There's time to experiment in summer in the friendlies, but I don't think Berhalter is going to be experimenting this window. If he is available, then, I mean, for me, he's in my best 11. Mm-hmm. Does he Does he slot in at the right wing position? I, I think you have to at least give him a game to run out and see what he can do. We know that whoever starts in Asedio's Tecca cannot go 90 the next match, probably shouldn't go more than 30 the next match. So it might be a good idea to maybe start Tim Weah in that first match in Asedio Azteca, then Reina, run Reina out as the right wing against Panama, maybe flip-flop those two. But you have to deal with the fact that there is a huge game at altitude three days before you're going to Orlando. So whoever plays that game at altitude is not going to be available for the next match. Ryan, would you put Reyna in your starting 11? No, I think it's a little bit too early to put him in the starting 11, but I think kind of how we were touching on where we, where we'd like to see him play. I think Tom nailed it that right now, I don't think Burr is going to mess with it too much at all, 
but I do want to see some experimentation during the summer because personally for me, I think he we could fit a better 11 out there with Gio in the middle and, and Timmy on the outside. Yeah. So then I guess, okay, we're talking about the game against Panama. Is Reyna in the starting lineup or not? Who's, no. who's your starting right winger? Timothy Weah, for sure. Then are we going Timothy Weah as the starting right winger against Mexico too? Who starts that so, match? I mean, person, for I, I wouldn't be shocked to see something like a four-two-three-one. That's kind of what I would like to see a little bit against Mexico, given the McKinney injury. And then I think on the right wing, we could get away with even playing someone like Ferreira out there, or if we wanted to save somebody like Wea for the game. I see if we do do come out with a four-two-three-one, then you got to ask yourself if you want to have Aronson or Reyna in the middle. I think it would make sense to have Aaron's in there, but if you wanted a little bit of positional flexibility and to save Wea for the game against Panama, then I think you could have Gio potentially in the middle. I, he obviously doesn't have the legs to go long enough, I think, yet, but I think it would be something that you could see a little bit different. And just because Greg has kind of rolled the same formation out there, and now that we have some injuries, we're going to see how flexible he can be. How would you yeah. guys feel about a back five against Mexico? I mean, we did play I a little bit just... like that yeah, in the Nations yeah, League Yeah, no, no, final. you take it, Jake. Yeah, yeah, in the Nations League final, we, we did play a little bit like that. And it it's one of those things where I wouldn't mind it, but at this point, is it too late to start experimenting? And do I trust Greg Berhalter using that formation? Because the last time we tried it, we got destroyed in that first 45 minutes in Honduras. He put Tyler Adams as a right wing back. He put uh, James Sands and Kellen Acosta, I think, as the two number eights in the middle. So it's more of like if I trust Berhalter to make the right decisions and set us up for success in that sense. But the team has the talent and the positional flexibility to play in that formation. Mm-hmm. I, I just thinking it plays better to our, our both of our outside backs are better wing backs than they are true right and left backs we have a wealth of good center backs including a bunch of center backs who are used to playing in a back three we're missing a midfielder so maybe a very good ball progressing midfielder like de la torre or musa next to adams makes sense you're not messing with the front three at all and you can add someone a really good center back in there to sort of add some defensive stability yeah i'm not against it i i do feel like in a way we set up better against Mexico, just the way that Mexico plays and mm-hmm. the way like you've, you've seen us really struggle against lower block teams in Con- in CONCACAF to really score goals or put games away when we should kind of have much more talent over and above the team that we're playing. But Mexico likes to play quickly. They like to get numbers up front. They like to hold possession and in a way that actually plays to the U S strengths. So whether it's a four, three, three or a, a Five three two or five two three, like that doesn't necessarily matter as much to me. It's more about how we set ourselves up to play against Mexico. Make sure that we still align, like really punishing the way that Mexico tries to play against us. All right, following that up, then Pulisic at left wing. I think he's yeah. he's now a man in form. Uh, was sick over. The, the week game, but got a few minutes run out for Chelsea today. So I would expect him to be fresh and healthy and in form coming into the U.S. camp. All right. Do we have one center back that we know will start in our best 11? Chris Richards is injured. Miles Robinson isn't in great form. Walker Zimmerman has continued to be good for Nashville, but he's kind of, up, you know, always up for debate in the USMNT community. For my money, like Zimmerman is probably the the most locked on. Yeah, I got I got Zimmerman in there as my starting center back. His partner is a subject of great debate, and we could probably list ten center backs who we would partner with him. Okay, so let's <laughs> Ryan. Who would you put next to Walker Zimmerman? So I mean, it's it's pretty hard not to want to put John Brooks in there. I think the way he's been playing recently has been, you know, a man on fire. He's got something to prove when he comes back into camp. It would be a little shaky, you know, for a, a guy that hasn't been in the team for a little bit. But I think, you know, a 28, 29 year old center back that's been playing 
week in, week out in the Bundesliga and has been with the team before and been through a qualifying rotation, that he is one of the few people that I think could step into the lineup and be able to give us a solid 90 minutes. Now, pairing him with Zimmerman, Zimmerman Brooks isn't necessarily my favorite, um, but yeah, I, if we are going for sure with Zimmerman in there, uh, I would actually probably start Robinson with him. Yeah. Miles Robinson usually plays better with Walker Zimmerman than he does with any other center back. So it seems to be a good pairing if we're going to go that route. Tom, I thought yeah, you made a do... great point. Yeah. A few weeks ago, Tom, Tom had talked about Miles Robinson really enjoying playing under the leadership of Walker Zimmerman. And I definitely am finding that, especially, I guess, in his more poor form, he's being asked to be more of a leader on the field for Atlanta. Or when he's paired with Chris Richards, he's kind of the senior person in that pairing. So him playing with Walker Zimmerman and having someone that can back him up and be a leader for him, it seems like that really helps him play better on the field. Yeah, I, I think that if we're going to play Miles Robinson, it makes sense that Walker Zimmerman will be his partner. The two of them have played something ridiculous, like 600 minutes and only allowed one goal ever for the U.S. men's national team. They are, I think, undefeated when they're the center back duo playing together for the U.S. men's national team. So if we're going to go that route, I wouldn't mind seeing it. There are also a lot of names we could talk about, though. Tim Ream has been in excellent form at Fulham. Cameron Carter-Vickers at, Shel at Celtic. Eric Palmer-Brown at uh, Troyer. Uh, is that Trois. the French team? <laughs> um, Matt Miazga. I think he's been a little bit worse form for Alaves of late. If I'm not sure if he's actually getting on the field right now or not. Um, and then yeah, I know he there's was an Aaron Long size hole that we haven't fit talked about yet. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Long. Yeah. It's not going to be popular. People who are listening to this are not going to want to hear that name, but he's playing well in MLS. He was a veteran starter before he got hurt. He's going to be yeah, in the conversation. A duo, a duo that we do have that's played quite a few minutes and done well together is Brooks with Aaron Long. I mean, that's that was the center back pairing that we thought was going to be the starting group for for quite a while. So, you know, there's there's definitely quite a few people that we could put out there. I really is there. I guess the real question then would be, is there a pairing that you don't like? Probably something like Robinson long or if we're if we're going to bring in Eric Palmer Brown or Cameron Carter Vickers, I would want them to be paired with Walker Zimmerman, honestly. Mm. Uh, just having someone that has played on this back line for the last few months. I, I think they're really talented and probably deserve a shot to be in this camp. But it is like, this is a must-win game to get to the, the biggest competition in the world, one that we missed out on four years ago. Do you really set yourself up to, to use players that haven't necessarily been with the team or been learning the system? And that's not... a like that is Greg Berhalter's fault. That is the Federation's fault for not bringing them in earlier and making sure they're comfortable with the system. But at the same time, I think we need to be reasonable about the actual situation that we're in now, which is that they haven't been with the team. They don't necessarily know the system or how Greg wants to play. So for me, if, if, those, if those players are going to be on the field, they need to be paired and surrounded with everyone else that has been a part of the team that can really solidify the core of the defense. Yeah, yeah Jake, I, Jake, I think you actually hit the nail on the head because when you talked about it, it really is at the fault of the Federation for having not brought some of these guys along on sooner. I think that's the biggest thing that sticks out to me here is there are a few guys that, you know, with Weston being hurt, there's, you know, a couple other center midfielders that could potentially fit in very well right now, but they just haven't had a chance in with the team at all. So they're definitely out of the window of being able to be called in in such a high-pressure situation. I think this will definitely be the window that, I mean, even I'm okay with it. And I've been really critical of Berhalter in the past, but if he does go kind of some of his guys or some people that are more consistent and know what, you know, know what to expect when coming into a Greg Berhalter camp, it's, we're going to have to ride or die with it at this point. Like it's, it's gotten us this far. So, I mean, we have to put the faith that, you know, hopefully Greg's able to pull it out in just this last window. And then over the summer, we can tinker with a few things and bring some guys in. Yeah, yeah. Right. This is this is it. This is where we're gonna see Greg Berhalter's system, whether it can do it or not. We're not gonna see an introduction of 15, 21 year olds. 
into this team, we're going to see an influx of veterans who've been with this camp, who know this team, who have minutes in World Cup qualifying, because they're the ones who are going to get have to get the job done at this point. So let's put a name here then. Who who partners with Walker Zimmerman in the most crucial game of the next qualifying? Miles Robinson. I think it's Miles Robinson. Yeah. I, I although I would not be shocked if it was Aaron Long. Agreed. And honestly, Aaron Long has the speed and agility to cover for Walker Zimmerman's. Uh, he's very similar player to Miles Robinson, but I think yeah. many people listening and many people having watched Miles continue his positive trajectory over the last year will want to see Miles Robinson paired mm-hmm. with Walker Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. Okay, where do we go next? Goalkeeper or center midfielder? Uh, let's get the goalkeeper debate out of the way. I feel like let's okay. solidify that back line. So here's where we are, guys. Matt Turner hurt his foot before the MLS season began. He signed with Arsenal, but he's transferring over the summer, so he's still playing this section of games with the New England Revolution. He doesn't seem to be available. He has not played in any of the MLS games so far this season. Zach Steffen had a back injury and is just back in training today, it looks like, from posts on his Instagram. So will he be ready by the time that we go into qualification? Maybe. Uh, then we have Sean Johnson playing for NYCFC, someone that's been the third goalkeeper over the last few qualifying windows. Ethan Horvath has <laughs> impeccable timing to come <laughs> back into form to win the starting spot for Nottingham Forest in the, cha- the English Championship, has played really well and had a shutout over the weekend. And I will just throw out another name, Gaga Slanina, the 18-year-old for Chicago Fire, who was a, was he the third or fourth goalkeeper, I forget, in the last qualifying window fourth goalkeeper that we took along. He has kept three clean sheets to start off the year for Chicago Fire. Chicago Fire have not given up a goal in play in, what is that, 270 minutes so far this season. So he's 18. Would we ever trust someone of that age to start in a crucial qualifying game? I don't know. That's why we're here to debate it. (laughs) So guys, taking all of that information Maybe, Ryan, we'll start with you. Like, where is your mind at for goalkeepers? So I feel like, you know, if if you go back to a lot of our other roster videos, I've been on the Horvath train this whole time. This isn't anything new. I've I've called him up as our third keeper every single time, but it's ended up being Sean Johnson. So this guy, every single time people kind of tend to write him off or, you know, he's kind of playing second fiddle to somebody else. When he's called upon, he steps up again and again and again when Mignolet got COVID he stepped up or he was able to step up and played phenomenal now at Nottingham Forest you give him one chance he steps in it's and we saw it over the summer too in a pinch this guy just continues to step up over and over again I don't know why people kind of continue to doubt him when we talk about guys that you know were backups that end up playing as a starting goalkeeper for their national team, I think the one that stands out to me is like Ospina started for Colombia for forever and barely got any minutes at Arsenal. So it's not something that necessarily like you know makes me afraid to to start a guy, especially now that he's been getting minutes. I think if you look at the game, you know, look at the video of the locker room after the national or the final over the summer. Yeah. You, the Nations League, yeah. You could tell these guys love playing with Horvath. So I, I have all the confidence in the world that he'll come in. His confidence is high and the team will be high. Have high the team will have high confidence behind him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like we owe Samba a gift basket of some kind for that red card that he took a few weeks ago. For sure. Giving Horvath the t- chance. But Ethan Horvath, to me, is the most bizarre case study of players who tend to play their best after sitting on the bench for five consecutive months. Literally every single time he gets a chance to come in after playing, after not having had any minutes in five months, he just puts in a world-class performance. He's done it in the Champions League. He had, well, he had a stretch where he had three consecutive Champions League shutouts last year after not getting any minutes in the league for six months. He's now playing in the championship uh, in England, and he's, you know, come in after six months of not any, had any game time. He's been phenomenal. He's only allowed, what, one goal since he's gotten the starting job back at Nottingham Forest for the U.S. He comes in cold 60 minutes into a game pitches a shutout and or pitches one goal that was not his fault and it makes the biggest save almost in u.s men's national team history so yeah the guy is just a gamer he loves to step into these situations ice cold and turn in amazing performances 
I have no doubts if we're starting him this window that he will be amazing. Okay, so I've heard your cases and I agree with you. Uh, to use the word of the day, I concur. Absolutely. Um, it, is that what Greg will do? So I'm going to put Horvath on our starting level, oh. but who do you think Greg is going to start? God. This has been the bane of our existence. All of qualifying is trying to think what would Greg do? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I, th I think Greg's, I mean, he, Greg's got to play, I think, the hot hand. I think when he brings all three keepers, whether it's, you know, Johnson, if, if Stefan's healthy enough, I, I still don't think Stefan will be Stephen, or healthy enough to maybe go 90, but still could be able to be called into camp. Um, I, yeah, I think, you know, he'll see the competition in camp and Horvath is going to win out. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think that Sean Johnson will get a look, but I don't know if it'll be, I, I don't, Sean Johnson hasn't been trusted at all this window to actually play any minutes, right? Or this, he's been there. He I don't think he's played any any minutes. Yeah. yeah, no. So I think that the most recent person to get an emergency appearance for the U S men's national team was Ethan Horvath over Sean Johnson. I'm pretty confident Burhalter is going to go with Horvath just because of that nation's league performance and have, you know, Playing as good as, as well as he has with Nottingham Forest is amazing. Johnson's got a shout, but even he's not been amazing to start the MLS season. It's not like we're talking about an MLS best 11 goalkeeper versus a championship best 11 goalkeeper right now. We're talking about championship best 11 goalkeeper and maybe a top 10 MLS goalkeeper. Yeah, and even just based on merit in the same league, Gaga Slanina versus Sean Johnson, you could yeah, make Slan a case that the 18-year-old is in better form, has been playing better than mm -hmm. Sean Johnson. So I'm going to put Horvath there. We think that Greg will put Horvath there, but Tom, you said pretty sure, but then you, you hesitated a little bit. So I'm going to take that as 95%. You're sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Some, something that's maybe a bit more up in the air is the other center midfielder that will play in this uh, three-man midfield. Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa are pretty much locked on. Weston McKinney, is out for the season, recovering, should be ready uh, maybe in the, the summer or at the beginning of next season. Who is starting in the center midfield paired with Tyler Adams and Yunus Musa? Jake, can you give me a quick is update? Is this really a June? debate? I, I think it actually is, although it really depends for me on um, do you, where's GM Lucabusio right now, is his health in his form. I, I've not been paying attention as much to Serie A as some of the other leagues. So Busio had an injury that was a, a smaller injury. He wasn't playing very much. And then he's been making the bench over the last few games. I actually think Tanner Tessman is, if we took their minutes over the last month, Tanner Tessman would have more minutes than Gianluca Busio. That's more to do with injury than form for Gianluca. Then we have Luca De La Torre continuing to play well at Heracles. But uh, I, I think he scored his first goal of the season between the last qualifying window which was great to see. And we have Kellen Acosta, the newly acquired LAFC man, still in MLS, but has made it very vocal <laughs> and known to the community that it's not his choice. He wants to be in Europe and to challenge himself. Then there are a few others. I mean, Tanner Tessman, maybe. I, I don't see him as part of this team just yet. And do you guys have any other names that are kind of bouncing around in there that could po possibly be in this lineup? I think we got to talk about Georgie Mihailovic. <laughs> I think you can talk about Mihailik and then a guy that I would have loved to have seen brought on maybe a little bit sooner. It's way too late now, but, you know, Alex Mendez continues to be getting really good minutes in the Portuguese league. And he's just a guy that is, you know, isn't even thought about really much anymore. But, you know, he's a guy, if, if we were to potentially do that 4-2-3-1, he's a little bit more offensive-minded. Uh, but, you know, people, you know, if they still remember him from the U-20s where he was just a complete offensive threat and didn't have much to his defensive game, he has grown immensely. His, his game is really rounded into form, and he can go into a tackle and come out all right. So he's a guy I wish we could have had as a potential person to throw in here, but at this point it's too late. He'd be one of those summer guys that we'd have to try to bring into the mix. Yeah. And, guys, just so you're aware for anyone listening or, or has more of a basic knowledge in, in soccer – a 4-2-3-1 means that you're still playing with three midfielders and three forwards, but you have a more attacking midfielder that's playing a bit more shadowing underneath the striker, and then the wingers are a bit more reserved 
playing a little bit further back. So that's why when we're talking about Mihailovic or Mendez, people that have historically been more attack-minded, you're thinking about the 4-2-3-1 because there's a more attack-minded midfielder, whereas Greg Berhalter is really preferred to play kind of a flat 4-3-3 where there's very versatile players in each of the positions. Mm-hmm. I, I Make your guys, case for Mihailovic. I, Mihailovic is possibly MLS best 11 right now. He's been playing out of his mind in CONCACAF Champions League for Montreal. They got crushed against New York City FC this week, but, you know, Mihailovic is having an amazing start to the season. He's picked up right where he left off last year as one of the best Americans in MLS. It's insane that we haven't given him a look yet. I know that we did give him a look in December. He was training with Bologna, though, so he didn't stay for very long. I just feel like it's time to really bring him in and see what he can do. It's a window where we need players with his with his specific skill set. I think his passing range is a lot better than Yunus Musa's, and I worry a little bit with having Luca Della Torre and Yunus Musa on the field at the same time because I feel like they're kind of the same player. I don't feel like we're going to be able to control possession very well with both of them out there together. So having a more progressive passer, which I feel like Mihailovic could be, might not be the worst idea in this camp. Ryan, you, you said there's no debate. What did you mean by that? I mean, I so for me, it's Luca De La Torre, no questions asked. I think Tom brings up a really good point, though. I hadn't thought about much that, you know, Musa and De La Torre do mirror each other a little bit. I would say De La Torre is more aggressive with the pass, though. You know, I, I would definitely say that Musa brings a little bit more on the dribble. I do think defensively they bring about the same. You know, they're not necessarily the biggest guys out there, but they're two guys that aren't afraid to get into a fight either. So, you know, I, in the uh, Scuffed podcast interview with De La Torre, he talked very much about being an undersized midfielder, but using his body and his positioning and his anticipation of the game. So I think, you know, with that skill set in there, he can potentially fill in that uh, McKenney role where he can get a little bit further up the field and hopefully, you know, open up some scoring opportunities for us. The thing I mean, that we're not going mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, in the in the Honduras game where Luca De La Torre started, he was he was getting stuck into tackles. He was playing really well defensively. His work rate was incredible up and down the field. So I don't really think that's an issue for me at least, just thinking about defensive responsibilities and being able to have players defending the front or the back four. Luca De La Torre to me brings a really balanced perspective of defense and offense to the team. Yeah, Mo, I, I agree. I think that the defensive, I'm not worried about a defensive three of Musa, Adams, and Luca De La Torre at all. I think that they'd be an excellent defensive three. My worry is the passing range. You know, when we watched the U.S. play over the last qualifying cycle, we rely on Weston McKenney just pinging balls everywhere. He hits amazing switches. He hits so many great passes down the wing to sort of open up the attack. He combines very well in, tra- in traffic, you know, works very hard to sort of make things happen in and around the box. Who's going to be the guy who opens his feet up, opens his hips up and hits a 30-yard pass out to Serginho Dest from the midfield? Who's going to be the guy who does a little one-two with Wea to get into the box? And I I just don't see Eunice Musa or Luca De La Torre having that aggressive passing range or having that sort of combination and transition ability that Weston McKinney brings. And so I'd like to see us go with someone who's a little bit more attacking-minded with their passing. I do think it's a little unfair to try and like try and fully replace Weston McKinney oh, with another oh, player. Oh, 100%. Yeah, we can't. <laughs> yeah, his skill set is completely <laughs> unique to Weston McKinney. Like, not just on the U.S. men's national team, but eights and tens and around the world don't match up to Weston McKinney and the, the type of skill set that he brings to his teams. So I think you're kind of like trading off, you know, Luca De La Torre can do some things that Weston McKinney does, but not some others. Mihailovic has the passing range, but not some of the other things that you like with Weston McKinney on the pitch. I actually think Luca De La Torre can have that passing range. It's just about being as aggressive, like you're talking about, Tom, being as forward thinking as Weston McKinney is. So for me, I think Luca De La Torre is is the other number eight. Or do you think Mihailovic is yours, Tom? I I don't know. I'm I'm Still, I've thought about this for weeks now, and I'm still very conflicted on who I want it to be. That's why you couldn't finish your first draft. Milovic was just on your mind. All right, I'm going to put Luca De La Torre here. But, and the other, I guess, point I'll just make on Luca De La Torre is that I think he's earned a lot of respect and trust with Burhalter and the fans, 
Whereas that's going to come in big time in these last three games where Burhalter is going to go with players that he knows and trusts with the system. I think De La Torre has kind of like built a bit of that foundation through his play against Honduras in the last game. Yeah. It's a really big shame that Cole Bassett's not been able to break through yet at Feyenoord because this would be a great window to call him up. Yeah. Those have been some really interesting. I know we'll, we'll probably touch on that in different episodes, but Cole Bassett and James Sands making their 18-month loans over to Europe in kind of like second-tier European divisions. They're still really good and competitive, but haven't really been able to break through just yet. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they won't in the future. All right, guys, we have one more position on this team in our best 11 of available players, the striker, the number nine position. Uh, just to catch everyone up on where we are with strikers, Ricardo Pepe still has zero goals in the league for Augsburg. Josh Sargent was sick, played uh, for Norwich in the last two games, hasn't scored since his incredible Puskas uh, nominee goal and header. Uh, let's see, Jordan Pifak continues to score in the Swiss League. He could become the first American to lead a European league in scoring this year. Um, who else is there? I mean, Josie Altador got his first goal for New England Revolution. <laughs> is he an option? Bobby I mean, a game winner. Yeah, we're just like whatever spaghetti sticks to the wall. I feel like we're we're yeah. going to use them. The, the cabinet is bare. Giassi Zardes lost his starting spot in Columbus. Bobby Wood got a game winner, but Bobby Wood is Bobby Wood. Josie Altador got a game winner. I Jesus Ferreras played well Jordan at Morris. Dallas. Jordan Moore, he he could pin play the striker in a pinch. Are are we thinking about just running Christian Pulisic or Tim Weah at striker at this point? I don't know. It's it's bad. <laughs> Ryan, where are you it's, at? I, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Look, it's not like Pepe all of a sudden got bad overnight. This is a guy that you know two windows ago everyone was clamoring over as our savior. And I still think the kid is super talented. He is 19 years old, moved across the world, and is experiencing a new culture, a new team. Transferring in the middle of a season and coming onto a team, it's so rare that someone all of a sudden comes on and just makes a huge impact right away. So I am not deterred by, you know, Pepe coming off the bench, a little bit of a slow start, hasn't scored yet. I'm going down to see him in Stuttgart next weekend as Augsburg take on Stuttgart. He's going to get his first goal there. And it's going to be fine. So I'm not panicking yet. For me, still the starters, Pepe, he's been training, you know, at a very high level out there with Augsburg. So, you know, if, if he was good enough a couple, you know, a few months ago, when, you know, he had clipped in a goal or two here, but hadn't been playing really with FC Dallas for, you know, a couple of months. He was still good enough to be our starter then. The fact that he's been training week in and week out and still getting some Bundesliga minutes, getting comfortable, that first goal is coming. I'm still perfectly comfortable with him starting for us. His last goal for Clubber Country came in October, though. It is now the end of March, and we have not seen his yeah, okay with goal. I, I don't know. He doesn't make my roster. I just... You have to give him time to doesn't make the roster? sort it out in Germany. He doesn't make my roster. You said I've roster? Pfock, yeah, Pfock Ferreira, and then pick a name out of a hat for your third. I don't. I I just want to give him time to sort of get himself going for club before we get him back in the country picture. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. You're yeah, crazy, it's, Tom. It's you, you need more sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I might be sleep yeah, deprived, but I'm, I'm pretty confident of this. <laughs> I bring Sergeant. I'm calling it Sergeant Peafock. I'm bringing in Sergeant Peafock and Pepe. No questions asked. Those are my and three. I'm starting Pepe. Yeah, yeah and I'm and I'm starting. Oh, no, Pepe I, Jesus Ferreira with. is mo our most informed striker. I don't see any world where he's left off this roster. Who? So is Sergeant off for Ferreira? Yeah. If if if, though, if we're bringing for sure Pepe, then for Sergeant's off for Ferreira. Ferreira's playing excellently for FC Dallas. They smashed a good Nashville team last night. I just, I think that also his skill set is so different. If you're going to bring a PFOC and start him, then having Jesus Ferreira to sort of give you a change of pace, a curveball as it were, or I guess change up would be a better sort of analogy there. Then <laughs> you're going to really want someone like Jesus Ferreira who can drop a little bit deeper, combine very well, allow Pulisic and Wea to really stretch the field. Yeah, I just I feel like 
Ferreira and Pifak are the perfect complement strikers for each other right now. I do feel like Ferreira could probably be the better option against Mexico. Someone that can help mm. link up play, get us back on the, the ball and maybe counter a bit more by dropping mm. in the middle. Whereas against Panama, I mean, if I know Greg and how he plays against the low blocks, we're probably going to be swinging in a lot of crosses. And someone that does really well at the end of crosses is, is Pifak. So in my mind, personally, I'm going with Pifak as my number nine striker. Same. Ryan, it sounds like Pepe for you. Yep. I got Pifok. Tom, you have Pifok? Pifok is scoring for fun at this point. He just cannot be stopped. You play the hot hand, and it's got to be and I And I like Pifok. But for me, Pifok is the super sub 30 minutes. Just the, the little bit that I have seen of him, you know, he, he's not going to offer a whole lot in the press. He's not going to offer a lot defensively. But he is a big lumbering number nine up there. So, I mean, it works out well because, you know, young boys possess a ton of the ball when they play. So I think, you know, if, if we are going to be in a position, like Jake was saying, against a Panama where we're possessing more, sure, you know, I could see definitely having him start. But against a team like Mexico, for me, he's coming off the bench if we need to go late. Well, like yeah. I said, we're not starting our same striker against Mexico and Panama. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Pifak here. I'm going to swing the gavel. I don't even know if his name is <laughs> Pifak right. in this. Sibachu. There we go. Boom. All right. This is our 11. Christian Pulisic, Jordan Pifak, Timothy Weah as three forwards, Luca De La Torre, Tyler Adams, Yunus Musa as the three in the middle, Anthony Robinson, Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman, and Serginho Dest across the back, and Ethan Horvath in goal. Guys, is this enough to beat Panama at home? This is, this is enough to get three yeah. points. I, yeah. We, we just need four. We don't need to have some brilliant window. We need four points. If we can't get four points in CONCACAF, we don't deserve to go to the World Cup. Fair. Fair play. <laughs> All right. That is our starting 11. Anything more to say about that before we go to Tom's World Cup qualifying model? No, that's good for me. Yeah. <laughs> All Tom right, can take it away at this through. point. Uh, so yeah. I'm going to go ahead and preface this debate by saying that at this point, the World Cup qualifying model is not the most useful thing in the world. And I frankly think this is probably my last run of it. I just, at this point, models are very good for predicting long-term futures. They can sort of play out a bunch of games in a short time and tell you what the most important games are, how we're looking, are we on track? At this point, we know what we need to do. The The goal is four points. It's just about getting the results. This sort of tells us, you know, if we get the points that we're expected to get, where are we going to finish? What are other teams going to do around us? Where are the most likely points to pick up at right now? The model really likes us to finish third, although if we beat Mexico, and I think that that's sort of the main sticking point of the model is that Mexico has a home match against us, then we would be almost guaranteed to finish second. Um, it's a very weird thing, but Canada's most likely going to win the group. U.S. and Mexico are sort of fighting out second and third. Both are very likely to finish in the top three. Panama, Costa Rica are sort of fighting for fourth and fifth. Although there is a slight chance that one of them could sneak into those spots, and that's sort of where we're kind of worried about right now. Yeah. And I see down in the fifth place position, the U.S. has a more than 1% chance to finish out of the automatic end playoff spots. Yes. What, what is so that, that about? So that comes from the fact that uh, Panama and Costa Rica both could finish with nine-point windows. And if both of them get a nine-point window, then we will be eliminated. Um, there's not just one situation where we get eliminated. There are now several different nightmare scenarios. They sort of involve zero, one, or two points with really excellent windows from Honduras and or from Panama and Costa Rica. And there's also what I call the biggest nightmare scenario where we beat Mexico, but lose to Panama and Costa Rica and finish in fifth. Oh, that is a nightmare. <laughs> Don't even put uh, that out awful. into the universe, Tom. So Don't you're seeing from the model, all of those are very unlikely. The, the, the combined have a 1% chance of happening, which means that each individual one has, you know, sub one percent probably sub one tenth of a percent chance of happening but they are still possibilities there is still a lot that could go wrong it 
just sort of shows you that we can't sort of take this as guaranteed yet. We've got to get the results. We have to play well this window. Canada's another wrench in this factor. Canada quali- mathematically qualifies with one point in any of their three matches. They get to play both Panama and Costa Rica. Are they going to full throw, throw full starting 11s at them? Are they going to rest guys, play U23s, start looking more towards developing their squad? It would be very great for us if Canada just went out and throttled both Canada, both Panama and Costa Rica. <laughs> and for John Herdman team, honestly, I don't think they're going to play any type of U23 team or they might be experimental. They might mm. try something new, but I feel like that team is always going to be motivated and Canada has a chance to finish qualifying undefeated. Mm. I feel like that is kind of part of John Herdman. John Herdman's ethos and identity that he's trying to build with Canada. So for me, like that's not really an issue, but I agree with you. Like they don't have to play for everything in, Mm -hmm. especially in those last two games, if they get a result in their first. Remember this model cannot predict that this model expect Canada to throttle both Panama and Costa Rica. They are they're They are now the best team in CONCACAF by ELO rating, or if not the best, they're within one point of it. Basically, the ELO ratings have U.S., Mexico, and Canada as equally powerful teams, with Costa Rica and Panama as being sort of Tier 2, El Salvador and Jamaica being Tier 3, and Honduras being... I don't think they're a top-10 team in CONCACAF anymore, according to ELO rating. Like, they're, they've been in free fall for their ratings yeah. the last couple months. So, Panama, unfortunately, gets a home game against Honduras. Mexico gets to host... One of the El Salvador, Honduras, they go to the other one. They get a game against the U.S. in Azteca. Mexico should finish with at least six points this window, which means that sort of we're fighting with Panama, Costa Rica for that third place spot. How do you guys feel? Oh, super nervous. <laughs> like, oh, <clears throat> this whole time I've, I've tried to you know be pretty confident and you know expecting three points every single game, but. Just having lived through, if, if it wasn't just the last cycle that we didn't qualify, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. But the fact that it's literally deja vu all over again, uh, you know, to quote Yogi Berra, it's, it just feels a little too uncomfortable for my liking. Now, and the flip side is that there are scenarios where we could qualify in the next match. We're, we're to that point where if we beat Mexico uh, and then Canada and Canada and Honduras also get wins. If those three matches go our way, then we're in. We've mathematically qualified. Um, there's also a scenario where we can auto-qualify for the playoff spot since Panama's unlikely to lose to Honduras at home based on just Costa Rica losing and the fact that U.S. could get a draw. Costa Rica wouldn't mathematically be eliminated, but they would need to make up an eight-goal differential when they've only scored eight total goals in qualifying so far. So... so. Um, yeah, it seems unlikely they would do that, and we would have a six-point lead at that point, and Costa Rica would need to be perfect going forward. So Costa Rica's in a bad spot, but they are still mathematically alive, which is not where we want them to be right now. Yeah. We want everybody done, defeated, mm. <laughs> out, on, out yeah. on the streets looking for World Cup number two. Uh, the U.S. needs to get a victory against Panama. We mm-hmm. could, we've played against Mexico well. I mean, we have three straight victories over them, two mm. of them through extra time. But we, I feel like that is a good matchup. It's just going to Stadio Azteca, trying to get, get a result there is always going to be difficult. So mm. I, I think we're right to be nervous. Ryan, you, you said, you know, based on where we are from the last cycle, not qualifying, all of this just like brings back all of those memories, that feeling in your gut at the end of the, the full-time whistle in Cuba. So I think we're all right to feel nervous, but Tom, I'm glad you're kind of providing a bit of optimism through yeah. this and the model as well. Keep in mind, though, that this model entirely believes the fact that the U.S. is a better team than Costa Rica and Panama and expects them to get six points from those matches. I mean, oh. I do too. <laughs> Um, that's why they played the game it doesn't know the history of our time in San Jose it doesn't know Weston McKinney's hurt it doesn't know that Canada's uh, could rotate it expects you to play your full strength 11 every single match it doesn't know that we don't have two keepers that we've played every single match yeah there's just 
it doesn't account for the fact that Estadio Azteca is the most horrible stadium to play in in CONCACAF, and we have to go there and then make a huge trip back to Panama. There are just a lot of factors that we can't account for through a model. This is a fairly simplistic model that just sort of assumes everything is always perfect for every team. Yeah. So things could get dicey if Panama gives us a game. That won't happen because our starting 11 that we built can take Panama on. Tom, thank you so much for going through the model, running yeah. those numbers, even uh, when you're trying to do your own ast astronomy. Uh, yeah, happy to do it. Astrology. Astronomy, astronomy, astronomy. <laughs> Ooh, don't get me started on astrology. <laughs> That's an entire podcast episode in and of itself. <laughs> just, just like a 50-minute rant. <laughs> All right, we'll save that 50 minutes for next time. Guys, that's going to be it for this episode. We're on to final words. Ryan, what do you have to say? Um, you know, just really looking forward to this upcoming window. It, it, this is what it all comes down to. Like, this is why for four years we, you know, follow every single weekend to see how players are doing is exactly for windows like this that are coming up. So, yes, we may be nervous, but, you know, if for you, you got to be also equally excited for it. So just really looking forward to it. I'm going to have to stay up till three in the morning to watch the game. And then get from here to the Frankfurt airport and then sleep on my flight from Frankfurt to San Fran. I'm going to be in the same boat. I'm going to be flying in during the um, the Panama match to State College for an official visit to Penn State for my PhD. So <laughs> it's going to be rough. <laughs> I, not to jump into this, but in the last game against Costa Rica, I think that'll start at two in the morning my time and then flying to Portugal that morning. So. <laughs> We've all really uh, yeah. smashed those schedules. as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Tom, I think what's your last word? My, my last word is, you know, I'm excited about where I'm at right now. I'm, you know, glad that we get an upcoming window. It comes during a stressful time for me. But, you know, the hard work is paid off, and I'm really excited. I got a bunch of exciting announcements coming in the next few months, at least personally. So no matter what, I'm glad to be back here. I'm glad that the work is paid off. And also – Quick plug for the FIFA America Discord server. March Madness starts today. Brackets drop. Join the server. Join our bracket challenge. Uh, me and Tobes have got a lot planned for that. I've always sort of geek out about that. If you think I love numbers for soccer, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> my March Madness obsession is a little bit unhealthy. <laughs> so join and play with us this time around. Awesome. I'll put that link down in the description and the pinned comment below. Guys, I also want to give a shout out. So... Following this uh, podcast, there will be a separate episode on YouTube and everywhere you find our podcasts, an interview with Hugo Perez. He spent 45 minutes with me talking through the El Salvador system, the federation, how he's looking to build the team into 2026. And he also gave his thoughts on Greg Berhalter and the U.S. men's national team. So I just really wanted to thank him for the time that he took, but it's an incredible interview that I'm really excited for everyone to see. So make sure if that type of stuff interests you. You want to hear his perspective as a coach, as a person that's been part of the U.S. system. He's a USMNT Hall of Famer, current manager of the El Salvador national team. Make sure to go watch and listen to that. Otherwise, the roster drops this week for the U.S. men's national team. Last three games in World Cup qualifying. We're excited to bring our thoughts to you on the next episode of the FIFA America podcast. Until then, we will see you guys next.